Well, today we are uh, continuing in our series called uh, Freedom from Religion. And, uh, and uh, just before I jump in, just a shout out to Marg last week. Uh, thank you, Marg, for preaching such an amazing message last week. Uh, I heard so many good things about it, and I know as I was listening to it, my spirit was just jumping all over the place. It was awesome. So uh, if you missed it, go online, check that out. Uh, but today we are continuing in our series called Freedom from Religion. This will be the, the fifth message in this series, and we have a, a few more to go before we're over. Uh, if you've been with us, um, this series has kind of been building on each other, but last week we looked at um, how the scriptures can be used by some folks to kind of justify all kinds of horrible things, that the scriptures can actually be used uh, to keep people in negative religion if they're read in the wrong ways. And, and uh, the reality is that you can have two different people read the Bible and you can have one person respond with sacrificial love and feeding the poor and caring for the immigrant and, and, and really just having a heart to, to love people. You can have someone else read the Bible and respond with, with violence, uh, with justification for their hatred of certain people or staying away from a, a certain kind of group or whatever it might be. And if you don't believe me, then you just need to take a quick church history lesson and you see this all throughout church history. I mean, as we talked about, the, the Crusades had their theme verse, verse from Jeremiah about taking up the sword for the Lord and not sparing innocent blood or not sparing, not, uh, sparing blood or the, uh, the European holy wars, religious wars, where millions of Christians end up killing other Christians and millions died. And they had verses based in the Old Testament about that group over there because they have a di different doctrinal list. They're the Amalekites, and therefore I'm justified in wiping out their villages and slaughtering, you know, the folks in those villages. I mean, the Bible, if it's not read in the right way, can, can lead people to justify all kinds of horrible things. And so we talked about this question is like, how do we know which verses to follow? Uh, because they're seemingly verses that, that contradict each other at times. I mean, in the Old Testament, you see, you know, Elijah calling fire down from heaven to consume his enemies. Yet, in the New Testament, we see the disciples trying to do the same thing, and Jesus rebukes them. In the Old Testament, you see an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and yet Jesus said, no, 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 it's not that way anymore. You love your enemies. I mean, what verses do you follow? Do you follow the verses that seem to support slavery or the verses that seem to, to say slavery is not a good thing? Do you follow the verses that say women can't lead or do you follow the verses where it suggests they can or you see examples of them leading? Do you, do you follow the verses that say there are certain foods you can't eat or do you follow the verse that says all foods are clean? I mean, what verses do we follow? And if we, we're not good at answering that question, we very quickly can fall into negative religion and uh, lose the very thing we're supposed to do, and that is to love one another. And so we, we looked at this idea of how do we know which verses to follow last week, and we talked about just keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. After all, He is the one who said, all authority has been invested in me. He's the one who said, follow me. Jesus didn't say you follow the Bible. He said, follow me. And so one of the questions we ask when we read the Bible is, does this line up with the heart, example, life, and teaching of Jesus? And so if you're reading along in the Bible and there's something there, just ask the question, does this line up with the life 
and the heart and the example and teaching of Jesus. And if it doesn't, then, then we know it's, it's not for us today. It's not for something, uh, something for us to live into. We used the example last week of, of the spaghetti strainer. How when we make spaghetti, we, you know, we cook it in the water, and then we, we dump the water and the noodles into the spaghetti strainer. And all the water comes out, and the noodles stay in here, and it's the noodles that we eat. We, we, we don't eat the water, although the water is necessary to make the noodles. The same goes with the Bible. We can take all the Scripture, and we, we dump it through the spaghetti strainer of Jesus. And all those things that line up with the heart and the life in the teaching and example of Jesus, those things we eat, we, we take into our life. But all those things that don't, it doesn't mean they're not inspired. They are inspired. The Bible is inspired. But it just means that they don't apply to us today under the new realm of Jesus and the new realm of the new covenant. It's not just enough to say, you know, that, that you know, I'm a person of the book. Um, because the Pharisees thought, thought they were people of the book, yet completely missed the point. And by the way, that phrase that sometimes is used, you know, we are people of the book actually doesn't come from the Christian faith. It comes from Islam talking about Christians. But the reality is we, we are not people of the book primarily. We are primarily people of Jesus. Again, we, we looked at this verse in John chapter 5 where they're talking about the Pharisees who knew the Scriptures inside and out. They, they studied the Scriptures so that they might not sin Yet Jesus looks at them and says, you search the Scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the Scriptures point to me. There's a point in the Bible. It points to Jesus. And, and too often, when you get tangled up in religion, you stop at the Bible, and the Bible actually becomes your God. And you begin to worship the Scripture and all the little verses, and, and Jesus is just kind of a side note. And, but the reality, Jesus is not the side note. He is the point. He is the one that the Bible points to. Just as, as we talked about last week, when, when Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration and, and Peter sees Elijah and Moses and there's Jesus and he says, let's build a hut, a, a monument for all of you, make, make you all equal. And God pipes in and says, no, you listen to Jesus. See, the mistake that some people make is they open up the Bible and they see Moses and, and Paul and the prophets and Jesus all is equal. God says, no, 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 you listen to Jesus. He becomes the key of the Bible. He becomes the key in keeping us from falling into negative religion. Again, as the Bible teaches us that negative religion will always shut the door of the kingdom in people's faces, and it just simply hurts people. It pushes people away. Now, continuing, continuing with that theme, we are going to talk about the Old Covenant today and, and a bit about the New Covenant. Because one of the traps people will often fall into is that they're still holding on to the Old Covenant. A lot of people, I find, that are stuck in negative religion are people who are sort of stuck between the Old and the New Covenant, or they're still holding on to the Old Covenant. And the Old Covenant, in, in many ways, is simply the, the Old Testament. It's, it's the book of regulations, rules, and laws. As Ephesians 2 says, talking about the Old Covenant, it's a system of laws, commandments, and regulations. And when you get stuck in religion, you get all tied up in commandments and rules and regulations and right and wrong, and that becomes, like the Pharisees did, it becomes your focus. And you end up worshiping commandments and regulations and rules rather than loving and giving love to people through, through, through Jesus Christ. The reality is the Old Covenant, we're not to follow it anymore. 
You can't get any more plain than Hebrews chapter 8. It says, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. The old covenant, very clearly, according to the author of Hebrews, is obsolete. Now, if you know of obsolete things, I actually brought one today because I just found this a few weeks ago. I found a Sony Walkman. I was down at my, my dad's place, and, and uh, he was been looking through some old stuff, and he found an old Sony Walkman. And, and I, don't know, I don't know about you, but I remember these things back in high school, and, and I think there's, you know, there's even a cassette in there. Wedding songs is probably from our wedding, you know, way back in the day. <laughs> uh, this thing, it, it's cool, but, you know, it's obsolete. Uh, we don't use these anymore. I mean, you probably can't buy them new any, anymore, maybe used on eBay, but, but we, because we have something so much better than the Walkman. I mean, our new devices, the tape doesn't get tangled. The new devices, you don't have to flip the tape over. Or, I mean, we, we can hold so many songs on our phone or we can just talk to Alexa or whatever and get some song played or YouTube. I mean, the technology now is amazing, which makes this obsolete. So too with the new covenant. The new covenant is so amazing that the old covenant is just obsolete. I mean, I don't use this anymore. We are not to use the old covenant anymore. Now, I'm not going to throw this away because it's still cool. The Old Covenant, we don't, we don't throw away the Old Testament because this is the story of God's people. There's a story in there. There's things to learn. But we are not obligated to follow the Old Covenant anymore. It is, as the author of Hebrew puts it, it is obsolete. Author of Hebrews says basically the same thing. Christ himself has brought peace to us. He's brought you peace. You have peace with God. And if you don't sense peace with God, then, then, then maybe you're stuck under the old covenant where there's rules and laws and commandments. There's all these things you need to do to get peace with God. No, you have peace with God. It's a gift of Jesus. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. And that's what negative religion does. It divides people. You know you're stuck in negative religion when you're trying to stay away from a certain group of people or there's a certain group of people that you have a, a subtle hate for. I mean, that's what negative religion does. But Jesus reversed that. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. Jesus ended the system of law, commandments, regulations. In other words, he has ended the old covenant. We don't live by it anymore. It's done. It's over. It's ended. Colossians says again, in a different place in the New Testament, it says the same thing. It says, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. Now, he says this, obviously, because I mean, there were people condemning these folks for not following the law. Uh, they found themselves free from the law, and they weren't worried about, can I eat this, can I not eat this? They, they weren't worried about strictly following the Sabbath anymore. They weren't worried about certain holy days, and, and people were condemning them for it. Why aren't you following the rules and the commandments and the regulations? Paul says, hey, you're free from that. Don't let anyone condemn you for not following the regulations and the rules and the laws. For these rules, he says, are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. The reality is Jesus. That the old covenant was, was like a shadow. 
not the real thing. And so we don't run after the shadow. We want to run after Jesus. I mean, it would be a very strange thing if my whole relationship with my wife was with her shadow. And I was always trying to talk to the shadow and touch the shadow and, and you, know, you know, whatever with the shadow. I mean, I would be missing the whole relationship. And this is what happens when you get stuck in negative religion. When you get stuck in the old covenant, you're, just, you're playing with the shadow. And you're missing out on the beauty of what you have in the new covenant. The freedom, the grace, the reality you're, you're free from the old covenant. It's simply a shadow. Uh, book of Galatians, which the whole book about this subject, by the way, the, the, how the old covenant is, is, is obsolete and how we're in the new covenant, he, he ends up saying this, kind of at the height of the chapter, uh, the height of the book in chapter 5. He says, Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. And this is a very serious point. You are free in Jesus. Don't get caught up in slavery to, is this right or wrong, and commandments and rules and regulations, because it'll pull you in the wrong direction. And sadly, I have had Christians who have been part of this church, who have at one time been very free and have got caught up in, in some of the old covenant and have gotten pulled back into the system which often brings bondage rather than freedom. He says, don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. When we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. The scripture says the whole law is summed up in this one command, you love people. And yet these folks are tied up in are you circumcised? Are you not circumcised? Are you eating the right things? Are you washing your hands? I mean, missing the whole point. The, the fruit of our faith is love. And what negative religion does, it, it gets your focus off actually loving people and loving God to, are you following the rules? Or are you not following the rules? Are you in or are you out? Can, can I hang out with you? Can I not hang out with you? Are you following the rules? Well, if you're not, then I'm not going to like you anymore. I mean, that's what religion does. And I love what Paul says in verse 12 because it's kind of humorous. He says, why don't these agitators, obsessive as they are about circumcision, go all the way and castrate themselves? <laughs> I mean, if you're just worried about circumcision, you don't want to follow the bunch, he's just like, just cut it all off because it's, it's, it's that damaging. <laughs> don't get caught up in slavery to the law. Paul was serious about this. Jesus spent a lot of his ministry fighting against this because he came to set us free free from those rules and, and um, religions and laws. Brooksy Cavey, in his book, The End of Religion, and if you've noticed, I've quoted from him every week because part of the series is based off his book, and if you're looking for an awesome book to read, he wrote this book called End of Religion, and it gives a million times more detail than the sermon series on this subject, but if this sermon series has inspired you or caused you to be curious, check out Brooksy Cavey's book. But in that, he says this, as a binding covenant of rules and rituals, observances and obligations, as a way of life for God and us together, the old covenant is over, obsolete, dead and done, deceased, dearly departed, bereft of life, six feet under, pushing up the daisies, resting in peace, kaput, completed, concluded. It's obsolete. We don't 
follow the old covenant anymore. Now, some people will object to this using this verse, and we're going to talk briefly about this, because I've had lots of conversations with folks who are getting tied up in the old covenant, and, and they always bring up this, this verse, and, and, and this is Jesus. He says, don't misunderstand, uh, misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law. And they'll say, all right, it, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, therefore we still need to follow it. Uh, it says, yeah, I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. And they still will say, see, the Old Testament is still, at least part of it is still binding. Maybe not all of it, they say, but, but certain parts of it. But the question is, like, what parts? I mean, the parts where, you know, if, if a priest's daughter is a prostitute that you, you, you burn them to death? Is it the part where you stone rebellious children? Or is it the part where you're not allowed to get tattoos? I mean, again, other people will kind of pick and choose based on their religious interests, which verses still apply today from, from the law. But he says here, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. That doesn't mean that we, we still follow it. It is obsolete, but it's fulfilled. I mean, it's just like you could say, I mean, we're not going to throw this Walkman away because we got newer technology, but the newer technology kind of fulfills this. It's just better. And that's the point of Jesus. Uh, Galatians says it this way, and, and Galatians says it quite clearly. It says, the law was designed to last only until, not until the end of the age, only until what? The coming of the child who was promised. The law was designed to last only until Jesus came, and now that Jesus is here, we're, we don't follow the law anymore. He goes on in Galatians 3, before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guardian by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. The law was simply a babysitter until Jesus came. It's like you know, when you, when you hire a babysitter for your kids and then you return as the parents, you send the babysitter home, the law was just a babysitter. And now that Jesus is here, we no longer follow the law. It was simply a guardian. It doesn't mean that we, 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 we throw the babysitter away, we just say, go home. <laughs> it doesn't mean, I mean, we still maybe have contact with the babysitter and talk to the babysitter, but, but it's not absolutely necessary for life today. But Jesus says in this passage, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear. And so a lot of folks will say, look, it's until heaven and earth disappear, that the law is still going to be here, and therefore we still need to follow it. Not the, the least detail will disappear, they say, or as the NIV says it, not the least stroke of the pen, or the King James, not a jot or a tittle, the, the smallest little letter in the Hebrew alphabet will disappear. So people say we still need to follow the old covenant. But the problem with this, this is Jesus clearly was not being rigidly literal here. I mean, for a couple reasons. First of all, the reality is some of God's law has disappeared. The reality is we actually don't have any of the original manuscripts of the law. 
We don't have any of the original manuscripts of the New Testament. We have lots of ancient copies, and we have copies of copies, and, and we have all these copies that are compared, and there's a whole science called textual criticism where they try to get back to the original, and we can get super close. But about 1% of the Old Testament we're actually not sure about. Now, that shouldn't worry you because that 1% has nothing to do with, with essential doctrine, but the reality is about 1% of the law has disappeared. We're not quite sure what it says. Uh, Jesus wasn't being rigid literal, and more importantly, Jesus himself did not follow every jot and tittle of the law. Uh, he broke the law. He said things contrary to the law. So if Jesus did things contrary to the law and broke the law, what would make us think that we are still bound to it? I mean, the law clearly says there's lots of foods you shouldn't eat. Jesus clearly says that all foods are clean. I mean, Clearly, in the Old Testament, you're not to touch people who are sick or leprous. Jesus touched those folks. I mean, lots of rules about the Sabbath in the Old Testament. In fact, there was a guy who was, who was stoned to death for picking up sticks on the Sabbath. Yet Jesus, he told people to pick up their mat and walk. Uh, Jesus did not religiously follow the law. Again, the point here is not that we're still under the law. Jesus' point is its purpose has been achieved. The Old Testament is still going to be there until heaven and earth disappear, but it's, it's obsolete. And we don't throw it away because it's still the story of, of our history, the story of God's people. It's good to read and understand the history, but we don't follow the law anymore. It's obsolete. It's over. It is done. Andy Stanley, he says it this way. If the law were a homework assignment, he was completing it. If the law were a speech, he was concluding it. If the law were a plane, he was landing it. This was his way of saying God's conditional temporary covenant with Israel was coming to an end. The intended from the beginning end. When God established his covenant with Israel, he set a timer. According to Jesus, the time had run out. Jesus fulfilled as and ended the necessity of the Jewish law. Just as you don't abolish a home by completing its construction, just as you don't abolish a flight plan by landing a plane, just as you don't abolish a homework assignment by completing the assignment, Jesus did not abolish the law when he fulfilled it. But in fulfilling it, he made it obsolete. And again, this is exactly what Hebrews 8 says. He has made the first one obsolete. And again, as Paul says, don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. We have been set free. So live like you're free. I mean, Jesus fulfilled all the regulations and commandments for us, and so we don't have to. We, we are actually free in Jesus. Now, if the old covenant is obsolete, what has been put in its place? And, and that's the new covenant. And I was planning to do just a whole other message on this, but I thought it was kind of weird to end on the old covenant note. So, very quickly, I'm going to touch on the New Covenant in our, in our last time. One of the clearest descriptions of the New Covenant is found in Hebrews chapter 8, because it actually begins this way. This is the New Covenant. Well, what is the New Covenant? Well, it says right here. It says, this is the New Covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. So this is from a prophecy from the Old Testament looking ahead to the new covenant, so it's talked about in future tense, but for us, this is, this is now. God says, I will put my laws in their minds 
and I will write them on their hearts. And so part of the new covenant is it's not book-based or law-based. It's actually heart-based. It flows from the heart and it flows from the mind. It's an internal out where the old covenant was very much, I got to obey all these things and if I follow the rules and then maybe I can connect with God. But it becomes a heart thing. And it's very, very important in the new covenant to understand that you have a good heart. You have a good heart and you have a good mind. Uh, a lot of people mistakenly, who again, who are stuck in the old covenant, will, will still use this verse to apply to Christians today. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. And they'll say, you can't trust your heart and your heart is evil and your mind is evil and there's no good in you and you're rotten and you're horrible. It's, it's worm theology. That is completely old covenant. That, that is obsolete. That is not us anymore because the new covenant includes a brand new heart which is a gift from God. In Ezekiel, it says, I will give you a new heart. That old heart that, that, was, that was broken and deceitful, you don't have that anymore. You have a new heart, and that new heart is from God, meaning that new heart is beautiful, meaning that new heart is, is good. I will give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit in you, and I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. This is what you have. You have a good heart. The old covenant teaching or negative religion teaches you can't trust your heart. Your heart is evil. Your heart is deceitful. No, that's old covenant. You have a good heart, a new heart. You can trust your heart because God's at work in your heart. In fact, you can trust your mind because you have a good mind because the Bible also says we have the mind of Christ. You see, God has saturated us in the new covenant. Every aspect of it is flowing with God. In him, all things hold together, and every cell of our being is held together by the goodness of God. And the new covenant reality is you have a good heart, and you have a good mind. And, and so when, when you're trying to figure things out, you can say, well, what is my heart saying? Because you know your heart has been given by God. What is your mind saying? Because you know your mind has been given by God. In fact, Philippians 2 says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That comes from within. In other words, your deepest desires under the new covenant are entangled with God's desires. And this is why we don't need to focus on a book as much as we need to focus on the heart and a relationship with Jesus because in, in, in our heart is found the deepest desires of God, that it is far more about our heart than about a book. And the early church lived this way. When, when they had to make a big decision in Acts chapter 15, sure, they looked at the Old Testament scriptures, but they also talked to God, and they also looked at their heart. And as they made the decision, they said this, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. In other words, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, and it felt good in our heart. Because they understood that under the new covenant, you have a good heart. Very, very important understanding of the new covenant. We could do a whole sermon on right there. Maybe we should one day. Uh, secondly, the new covenant is relationship-based, not law-based. It goes on in, in Hebrews 8 and says, I will be their God and they will be my people. We are his dearly loved kids that he draws us in and he holds us close. That it is about relationship. There's not a bunch of sacrifices we have to do. There's not a bunch of rules and things you got to do to get to God. 
You don't have to read your Bible three times and four chapters in order to get into God's presence because God's presence is already there. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. There is peace with God. You can boldly go into his throne room, whether he had a bad day or a good day. It's relationship-based. And he says this, and they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will already know me. That deep down in our heart, because God is giving the desires of, of his heart, that deep down that, that we know God, that we don't have to go through a mediator. I mean, you don't have to go through me to get to God. You don't need teachers and gurus and certain leaders and for you to access God. I mean, they're important because we learn stuff from them, but they're not necessary for a relationship with God. That God is at work in your heart. And, and you can go to him if you've got questions and, and talk with him and listen and, and see what he's stirring in, in your good heart and in your good mind. Part of the new covenant. Again, lots more to say on that, but we've got to finish. Uh, in the old covenant, we see even back then this was God's heart. In Hosea, it says, I want to show love. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. In other words, the whole sacrificial system was never God's ideal. In fact, there's good argumentation that the whole sacrificial was not even God's idea, that it was him simply adopting things in the culture to kind of help them along, uh, but that was never his ideal. His ideal was that we would show love and that we would know him, that we would give and receive love. This is why the Bible says the whole law can be summed up in this one command to love. Finally, the new covenant is grace-based, not sin-based. And it ends with this, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. This is how serious God is about forgiveness. He will never again remember our sins. Now, now we remember, and sometimes when we think about coming into the presence of God, we remember our sin and go, oh, you know, I better do some things. I better do some penance or, you know, do some acts of service and so God will like me. No, God's like, what are you talking about? I don't even remember. <laughs> I forgot. As far as the east is from the west, so has he dealt with our sin. And so whenever you're relating to God and some sin issue comes up and you think it's a barrier, just remember what Jesus said. It is finished. Again, when you're stuck in negative religion, you think your heart is deceitful and that you're such a rotten sinner and you're horrible. And yet the New Testament doesn't talk like that. Very rarely does the New Testament talk about us being sinners. It does say at that sometimes, but most often it talks about us being saints. And the most, most often it talks about us being in Christ, that we are saturated in him and in the love of the Father and the Holy Spirit. The new covenant is all about closeness. It's about grace. It's not about performing. It's not about rules and rituals and regulations. That's all done. That's obsolete. We can enjoy Loving God and loving each other. We can be free, truly free. And by the way, the only way you can really love people is if you're free. If you're still tangled up in, in you know, rules and regulations, you will never be able to love people properly because you'll always be judging them. You'll always be wondering, are they following the rules or are they not following? Do they have the right doctrinal list or the wrong doctrinal list? And you'll never actually be able to love them deeply. Jesus has set us and we're going to end with communion today because the new covenant 
and communion are connected very closely. When Jesus implemented communion on the night he was betrayed and later crucified, it says in Luke chapter 22, it says he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, yes, Jesus drank more than one cup of wine. He took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. When we celebrate communion, we are celebrating the new covenant. We are reminded that God has given us a new heart and that we have the mind of Christ. We're reminded that it's about relationship. We're reminded that, that we, are, we are following Jesus, not, 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 not the Bible. The Bible's not the end in itself. The Bible points to Jesus, but we follow Jesus. We focus on Jesus. We look to Jesus, his heart and his example and his model. And we're reminded that we are forgiven. We're reminded that there's no more barrier between us and God. There's no barrier between us and each other, that we are free. So if you have your communion, let's begin by taking the bread together in remembrance of the new covenant. Jesus shed his blood for the new covenant, so that we might be free. Don't go backwards. Don't, uh, if you will, spit in the face of Jesus and go back to rules and regulations. He came to set you free. He has brought you in to the new covenant. Let's be reminded of that by taking the cup. Now, God, we thank you that you've set us free from the burden and the weariness of, of all the commands. And you've set us free. You've set us free to love you. You've set us free to love each other. And so, God, we thank you that you are at work, that you are giving us the desires of your heart. And, God, we just lean into that. We live in that freedom, and we celebrate it. In Jesus' name, amen.